Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Today, I'm privileged to have Brandon Bruce, the COO and co-founder of Cyrus Insight. Brandon, welcome to the program. Thanks a bunch for having me. Excited to be here. So, Brandon, in, in 90 seconds, kind of tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, Ryan Huff, my co-founder, and I started Cirrus Insight at the end of 2011, uh, simply because Ryan saw a gap in the market. He saw a lot of people using Salesforce, growing platform for customer relationship management, and then a lot of companies starting around then started moving to the cloud, and that meant they were moving uh, to Gmail. And there was no connector that would connect Gmail with Salesforce. You had all your customer communication happening in the inbox. Meanwhile, you wanted to capture that data into your CRM platform so you could track customers over time. Right. And so what we built is a little extension that fits in the Chrome and Firefox browsers for Gmail users that basically keeps you logged in and keeps Salesforce visible in the side panel of Gmail all the time. So you're constantly getting good information from your database, and then you can populate uh, good information based on the conversations you're having back into Salesforce. And then since then, we've released mobile apps for iOS and Android, as well as a, a plugin and an add-in for Outlook users. So essentially, we're, we're kind of the go-to company for inbox and calendar connectors for Salesforce. And you're doing pretty well. I was looking uh, online, like you're number 41 in the Inc. 500, about $12 million in sales, 150,000 customers. So tell me when the idea first came up, what made you decide to go down this path? And what was it like in the first months of uh, trying to get this thing started? Yeah, interestingly for me, it was an easy decision to go down the path because Ryan uh, and I go back a long way. We've known each other almost 20 years, so we were great friends in college. And so, you know, when a college buddy calls you up, you're sort of intrigued as to what they're up to uh, and how you can be a part of it. And two, I always wanted to be part of a startup. You know, Ryan and I had done kind of projects together, but none of them had reached the level of a full-fledged company. And so when he called and said, hey, I'm starting to build this app, and I think it's an interesting space. Do you want to take a look at it? Do you think do you think it'll have legs? And, and so I got to essentially work the phones, right? Get out, call all the partners in the ecosystem, call potential customers, put up a one-page website to see if anyone was interested in being in the beta group uh, of this little extension that would connect Salesforce with Gmail. And so we got about a thousand people in that pilot group providing feedback. And it was based on that feedback that we kind of got the green light to launch, if you will. So, so the feedback generally fell into two buckets. One, uh, this is really early. You've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of features that you can and should add. And the second bucket was, and it's providing enough value today that you should launch it and we would pay for it. And so it was based on that second bucket of feedback, we decided, you know what, we should really get this out to market. And so I built out you know, a slightly larger, slightly more professional uh, looking website. And as we got ready to launch that, I was kind of in a race to get it launched uh, because I knew my son was going to be born any day at that time. Wow. And so I want to get it launched. So I launched at midnight. My son was born the next day. Um, but even before it officially launched, Google had indexed it. We hadn't checked the box in WordPress that said, keep this website secret. And one of our pilot users found the new website, found the order page and submitted an order. And we hadn't even tested that yet, but they tested it and it worked. So we got this alert on our mobile phone saying, hey, some money has gone into the bank account. 
And uh, on the one hand, it's like, well, great, the website works. And on the other hand, we were like, well, we weren't going to charge our beta users yet. We wanted to say thank you for providing all the feedback. We were going to give them the app for another few months uh, for free. Mm -hmm. So I called that user and said, hey, you know, we, we can refund this. We're not going to charge you yet. We just want to say thank you. And they said, tell you what, I'm going to buy it in a few months anyway. And so why don't I just be your first customer? And that really gave us a big shot in the arm. Like, look, if people are willing to pay for it, they're getting enough value out of it where you know they're willing to part with their money in exchange for the value the app's providing you know we should get it out there to market and and so we did and i'm glad we did that was kind of the best decision we made we were considering you know wait for six months and put a bunch of new features in or launch today and i'm glad we launched because it got us out first to market we were able to book those first 500 customers kind of start the cash flow machine and 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 that helped us establish that beachhead in the market before the first few competitors were able to get in, you know, three to six months later. That's brilliant. So tell me about those conversations with people to get the first beta people to kind of give you some feedback before the product existed. Tell me about that process, because a lot of people would have, you know, gotten 10 or 11, you got a 1000. So what was the thinking behind it? And how did you manage to, to land a 1000 people? Because that's a, a hard trick to do. Yeah, I think it was a combination of a few things. And, and one, credit to my co-founder, Ryan, he essentially, you know, the first Dreamforce yes. that he went to, which is Salesforce's big annual conference, uh, you know, this year, 175 plus thousand people uh, went to Dreamforce. But back then, there were probably like 15,000. So he went to that conference and basically handed out, you know, business cards that said, you know, I'm making an app that connects Gmail with Salesforce. So if you use both of those, oh, then really? you can try it for free and provide feedback during this beta period by going to this website. And he handed out a lot of those cards. So that got us the first initial cohort. And then I essentially tried to work the phones and call all of the Salesforce partners that I could find. So these are consulting firms that help other companies uh, develop and deploy Salesforce. So I said, hey, on behalf of your clients, uh, do you want to test this out? And do you have any clients that would be interested in testing this? So those became good feeders of not only those partners themselves, which are kind of aggregators of deep knowledge based on their client experience, but also their clients that are early adopters that want to get in. So we got those folks in to provide feedback. Uh, and then the third thing where we found a lot of users were online forums. So these were places where people were essentially right. raising their hand and expressing pain right? Uh, using Gmail, I'm using Salesforce. There's no way to get these emails into Salesforce so I can track them. Uh, there's no ways to, you know, sync my calendar events in or create new leads and contacts as soon as they email me. And we're like, well, hey, this is, this is why we built the app. Will you provide feedback so we can make sure it does exactly what you want? So it conforms to your use case. So the people on the forums are so like, oh, great. So someone out in the wide internet is listening and I can be part of the process in crafting the app. So I feel like for those folks, uh, both for the partners and for the people that were posting to forums, uh, we gave them a voice early on in the product process. So they really, uh, my hope is, uh, they felt like they were really on the team, the product team. They were helping us to define and spec what would go into the product, what wouldn't, how would it work, what would it look like by providing their feedback. And people enjoyed that, right? It's fun to be uh, sort of on the ground floor of deciding how something will function. And so... We owe a tremendous amount to all those folks that were willing to get in early with us. And on the plus side, we also delivered them something that they could use early on to save a lot of time. That's mostly our, our user reviews tend to fall into two buckets. Among sales users, this saves me a lot of time. And among managers, uh, this is helping me to get people actually to use Salesforce. 
because they don't have to go log into Salesforce anymore. They're just constantly logged in in the inbox. Brandon, how many people are in your company right now? Uh, so today we have 54 people, which is pretty evenly split between where I sit in Knoxville, Tennessee. We have our sales, marketing, and support teams. And then Ryan sits in Irvine, California, uh, and runs our product team, which is you know product design, management, uh, and engineering. So tell me, uh, how many salespeople in the company? Officially, uh, about 10 salespeople. Uh, you would call it more than that, closer to 15, if you consider that our customer success and our uh, sales team, you know, pure sales team, all do sales. The success team is involved in uh, expansion, so uh, add-on sales as well as you know, upsells from, from one tier to another pricing tier. So tell me, when you guys started, was this just uh, self-funded by you guys? Did you get uh, investors in? And when did you hire the first employees? Yeah, so when we started, you know, bootstrapped. Ryan and I ran it together, uh, just the two of us, for the first nine months. So Ryan was heads down coding and architecting the app and incorporating all the feedback we were getting from the from the pilot users. Meanwhile, I was going back and forth between trying to get new sales, doing demos, uh, supporting the customers that had come onto the platform, and then you know keeping the website up and trying to do kind of the basics uh, of guerrilla marketing on, on essentially a zero budget. Um, nine months in, we had pitched to an interested strategic investor that had come to us and said, hey, we like the space and we like the app. Uh, you know, we, we'd be interested in making an investment. And so that was the opportunity that we really took to, to write up the first formal business plan uh, to actually put pen to paper and say, this is our plan for the next year. If we had money, this is how we would spend it and what order and what things would we prioritize. And we, we were going down that path with them. Well, then that company got acquired, which shut down all of their M&A and investment activity. So we said, oh, shoot, we were getting excited about the possibilities. Uh, thankfully, those angel investors came behind and said, we like that plan that you developed for the strategic, uh, we'll fund it. So nine months in, we got some angel investors on board, which really helped uh, on, on two fronts. Just A, we had money in the bank, which helped right. us even out kind of the ups and downs of cash flow, right? So one day we'd think we're really on to something and the next day or week or month, we'd be like, shoot, is that it? Are those all the customers? What happened? So, you know, cash flow was rocky. And so that helped us to kind of smooth out that cash flow, which then in turn gave us the, the psychological permission, if you will, to go out and hire the initial employees and feel like we could make a commitment to them, right? If they're going to come and, and really work hard with us, you know, long hours, try to work smart, definitely work hard, then we'd be able to pay them every month. Uh, so having that money in the bank helped a lot with that. As you guys are thinking about the company, some people think about the culture and what they want the uh, mindset of the people to be, you know, somewhere in the future when they get to it. Did you guys give any thought to that, uh, thoughts to that before you started hiring people? How did you manage that? And how are you managing it now, now that you're a much larger company? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's fair to say that we gave some thought to it. At the same time, the culture is largely infused, I think, by the founder's personality. Um, the things I remember that we talked about when we first started is, hey, when we go to hire employees, uh, we're looking for people that are, that are generalists. They're smart. They can do lots of things because we have lots of things that need to get done. So it's not just fitting into one small section of the company. It's the ability to dance between, hey, we're going to do sales. But if we also need you to help on the marketing side or support or you know, QA of the product, that you can do that too. Uh, so we wanted people that were flexible. Um, 
you know, that, that were smart, that could apply their smarts to lots of different aspects of the company. Uh, two, I remember that Ryan and I talked about, hey, it'd be great to find people that themselves are interested in uh, starting companies, right? If they're an interested uh, past founder, current founder, or future founder, then that's the type of person that we think would fit really well with us because we're founders and so we can all learn from each other. And if they want to start their next company in you know three to five years, let's say, they can see the mistakes that we make and avoid them in the future, but then they can also see the things that work for us and then that'll be a really beneficial experience for them. Meanwhile, they've contributed the great energy that a founder type brings to the organization. So that was kind of the profile that we looked for in our, in our first hires. So how did you uh, articulate that? Were you asking, were you a founder? Because that's really intriguing because a lot of times people are looking for the task at hand and what you were looking for, what you've described is, hey, we're going to be in founder mode, which means a lot of shit needs to get done. So we need people that are generalists that can do stuff and have the mindset to shift. And then also, how do you, getting people that are thinking about founding companies brings a level of passion and energy that you wouldn't find in employees. So how did you ask people around that? Yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of an ownership mentality, right? And so all, all of our employees benefit from 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 stock options, and that was true to the first employees to the employees today. Um, but yeah, it was a matter of you know looking through applicants if if they were applying for the job. But of course, a lot of those early hires and, and still hires today, mo- many slash most of which come to us by referral. So you know, reaching out and having good relationships with the, the top local universities, University of Tennessee, Maryville College, have referred us a lot of their top students, but also top alumni. So we would ask, hey, are there folks that graduated in the last five years or so that have gone out, that have started their own companies, that are in on the ground floor of other companies that are interested in in a change, right? Or have they exited their previous company? Or did their previous company not work out and they'd like to join ours uh, because they're that type of person, right? They're not looking for, oh, that didn't work out. I need to go seek security and stability. It's like, oh, that didn't work out, but it was so exciting and awesome, and I want to try it again, and surely the next one will be a hit. And so through those referrals, we got a lot of the right people that had on their resume either, you know, they've done something in the past, they're doing something now, but they'd like to pivot and do something else, which is join us, uh, or that they have that interest in the future, right? Someone's just gotten their MBA, they're talking about founding something in the future. They're not really sure what that's going to be yet, which describes, I think, most of us right? It's like, we, we know we want to start something. We're not sure exactly what it is, maybe even what industry it's in, but the energy is there. And the idea that you're a generalist and you can add value in lots of aspects of a company is there. So he's, Hey, join, you know, join us for a while for as long as, as we can keep them, to be honest, because we have had people leave and many of those people have started their own companies. And that's that, you know, so it's a double-edged sword. It's like, we wanted those people. We got a number of right. them. And a number of them subsequently after three to five years did leave. And that's hard because we want to keep them and we keep them as long as possible. But we also recognize like, yep, that, that's what we saw in them at the beginning. And they knew that about themselves. And so, you know, uh, blessings to them, right? We know the road that they're on and we try to encourage it and help them any way we can. And they're often the folks that are able to, you know, feedback loop to us and help us the most because they're 100% in the game. Uh, they're fellow founders. So, but yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. If, if you're founding, why not get a whole team 
of other people that are founders or, or like them. Tell me, uh, oftentimes in larger companies, let's say, there are people in different departments and different departments have different agendas. For your company, it's kind of small, but you have the, uh, the product side of things and you have the sales and marketing side of things that touch customers. How do you keep the two groups aligned so you guys are supporting each other, uh, building products that are relevant to your uh, community? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of, if not the fundamental challenge of any software company, really any company in general, but I'll speak from the software perspective, uh, is because that's what led to our initial reception and success in the marketplace was that we had listened so much to all the feedback from those beta users that we were able to incorporate their top suggestions into the app. So we didn't need to say, you know, this is something that Brandon decided was a good idea. It's like, nope, you know, none of my ideas made it into the initial release of the app because we had plenty of ideas from people that really needed to use it. Um, you know, we, we've been able to add in our own personalities and our own ideas for some of the best features. But, you know, if we're honest and we look back, it's the features that came to us in the idea forums that, that really defined the best possible use cases of the technology and, and will continue to do so, I would submit in the future. So to keep the teams aligned, for one, it is in our internal, you know, kind of culture document uh, on several different slides, but I think the most, the one that resonates the most says, you know, we have each other's back, which means for the customer facing folks that, you know, the product team really through a concept of, of we consider kind of an internal SLA, a service level agreement, right? Product delivers to the rest of the company a product that is right. solid, right? When we say that we have a feature and that it works, that's a brand promise into the marketplace. And we need to be able to defend that promise um, and be able to go to customers and say, this is how it works. And it works like this every time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, meanwhile, we need to be able to uh, defend the product when we're talking with customers. So if the customer finds a bug, which, uh, you know, spoiler alert, there's bugs in every piece of software, no matter how big the company is, uh, you'll find them from time to time in Google products, Apple products, et cetera. And these are the you know best and brightest, biggest companies in the world. It happens. So, you know, customer finds a bug, then we know how to handle that. We know how to get the feedback back uh, to the development team and get that fixed or addressed or otherwise answer the customer's question. So, you know, technologies we use, we're, we're a big user of Slack, um, at the beginning, I was like, do we really need another messaging nice. uh, platform? But it has taken over for internal email for us, and it's been a great tool. Uh, we use Jira for managing the whole development pipeline, and that's been helpful just for visibility. The support team puts in the Jiras, puts in, you know, here's the background, here's a video of what's happening, this is what we need to get addressed. Uh, and then meanwhile, engineering is able to come up with original ideas or original ways to solve problems. And that, that's an important thing. I suppose, to point out, the end user will sometimes say, I want to be able to do something. Uh, and I, I remember originally asking them, well, how, how would you like us to do that? How do you want to be able to do that? And the person said, I don't know, you're the ones that are making the software, just enable me to do it, right? And so frequently, there's a, I want to be able to do something, but I don't know how I want to be able to do it. Can you guys figure out a good way to present that from a user experience standpoint and get it into the app? So our engineering team is able to then send through a staging environment as well as mock-ups, et cetera. Here are some options. Here's how we can get there. And then we can take that through our success team to existing customers and through the sales team to prospects and say, what about this? You got three options. Are any good? Uh, does one stand out? In which case we'll run with that one. 
So that's kind of the process in a nutshell that we use. Brandon, uh, before we uh, part company, I was looking at your bio and there was something about uh, uh, ultra endurance events. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So most recently, uh, I did a great bike ride. What those of us in the cycling community would call an epic ride uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee, where I live down to Daytona Beach, Florida. So it was 1,098 miles in 11 days. It commemorates the number of wins that Pat Summit had oh, when she was the coach of the lady volunteers basketball team at the University of Tennessee. So they won, you know, multiple national championships, one of the most famous coaches of all time, uh, you know, wrote books. She's got the Pat's definite dozen that are used by lots of organizations around the world to kind of define excellence and culture. And so she passed away of Alzheimer's a couple of years ago. And so we did the ride to raise money for a big research initiative, the Alzheimer's Research Initiative at University of Tennessee Medical Center. Uh, and yeah, we hit the road. So I've been a longtime cyclist. I've done a lot of endurance events over the years. When I lived in California, uh, I did a lot of 200-mile races, lots of centuries, and then a race through Death Valley, which at the time was called the Furnace Creek 508. Uh, so 508 miles through the desert, which was pretty awesome. So this ride was great. We got one day rained out. Um, by Hurricane Michael. And so we actually took the ride indoors and did uh, about 55 miles on a spin bike. So for those listeners that maybe do a, a spin class from time to time, we were in there for you know two, two and a half hours to knock out uh, 55 miles. And yeah, the scenery does not change. So I, I highly recommend biking outside. But if you do need to get inside, you can you can get a pretty solid workout that way because there's no, there's no coasting and there's no drafting. You just have to knock out the miles. So we did that and then we loaded up the other days with additional mileage. We did about 135 for three days in a row, made our way down to Florida and, and reached our goal. So anyway, uh, a ton of fun and, and raised money for a good cause. So I was happy to be part of it. Brilliant. The one thing I'm taking away from this conversation, uh, Brendan, is that uh, the genius of what you guys have done is reach out to the audience and ask them what they really want. Is this a good idea? And if they want uh, features changed, going back to them and saying, is this what you're thinking? Here's three ways to do it. Which one works best for you? And just having that finger on the pulse of your constituents allows you to be relevant and deliver high quality products. Do I have that right? Yeah, and I and I think it, it's fair to say it's kind of a it's kind of a return to basics, right? We all we all hear that advice pretty consistently, and we're all like, well, yeah, of course. Um, but it turns out it, it's hard, right? You, those are those are long calls. I mean, I remember spending two three hours on the phone with one person, really trying to get to the bottom of what they wanted to see, because sometimes it's hard if people haven't thought of it before. The the initial reaction is is quick answers, right? Hey, would you like the app to be able to do this? Yeah, sure. Why not? Right. The more, the better. But it turns out, you know, after a couple hours, they might backtrack that and be like, actually, that could be kind of complicated for our users. We might want to keep it simple, right? And and less training for us, and and it'll right. be easier for our users to adopt it. So then you've kind of come full circle. So it's being willing to have those longer, uh, you know, getting into the weeds conversations with possible customers and partners that I think gave us the best information. And that continues to be true today. And, and then, of course, the, the, the really high-level proviso is, you know, it sounds good when they come back to you and say, oh, this is great. We'd like to buy that. Um, but you're also going to get a lot of the opposite reaction. I don't like that. I don't like the color you chose for that. Uh, I don't like the way it loads. It took too long. It took too short. Uh, need more training built in. Need the training that you built in taken out. We want to do our own training, right? So you, the, the longer that you're doing it, there's lots of requests for... Uh, customizations, configurability. Uh, we want to change the language. We want the currency to be different, et cetera, et cetera. And it's picking and choosing where it's finding ways to 
you know, sustainably, scalably build in these things for various constituencies, meaning big customers, small customers, you know, uh, domestic customers, global customers, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's part of the fun and part of the challenge is that as the, as the technology iterates, it almost definitionally becomes more complex. And therefore you have to be careful about what you put in it, what you take out, uh, because anything you put in, you're probably going to need to support that uh, forever going forward. And so it's making that, uh, you know, kind of heads up decision, hey, we're going to release this. And so be ready to support it possibly till the end of time. Brandon, thanks so much for sitting down with me. It was a great conversation. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. If anyone uh, listening is curious, if you find yourself in Knoxville, Tennessee, they, they can join us for a, a Friday company lunch. And if they want to check out the app, it's just at cirrusinsight.com. Uh, my email is brandon at cirrusinsight.com. If anyone has any questions or just wants to connect, uh, find me by email or on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, look forward to following up. Brilliant. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 